You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. Well, we started a new series last week called The Everyday Kingdom, talking about the kingdom of God and how that applies to our everyday lives. We're going to continue that series this morning. You might remember that last week we talked about how oftentimes in our own American worldview, in our own Western worldview, we often think about kingdoms in terms of places, or we think about kingdoms in terms of empires that are located in a specific space. But we expanded that definition because the Bible and, and really the ministry of Jesus talks about the kingdom of God in a different way. It talks about it more wherever the rule and reign or the power and authority of God is recognized. And we use the illustration, if you remember, that if you've committed your life to Christ and you're a dedicated follower of Christ, then in a way, it's almost like you're a little embassy of the kingdom of God wherever you go. You're an ambassador to the king, that wherever you go, the kingdom goes with you. And then we finished by talking about how the kingdom grows and expands, namely through proclamation and demonstration. Of course, we saw that in the person of Jesus Christ, where he always told people about the kingdom, and then he showed them what the kingdom was like. And that's our grand invitation for all of us to go about the kingdom work in our everyday lives, proclaiming and demonstrating that the good news of the kingdom of God has drawn near. Well, today we're going to continue that series with kind of another huge topic. If you've never thought about these things before, again, it might feel like you're drinking from a fire hose this morning, but we're going to talk about a huge biblical theme, the theme of heaven and earth. We're going to talk about heaven and earth and what they mean in Scripture, how they're impacting our daily lives and what it looks like in the kingdom of God. Now, tragically, I think because of Hallmark gift cards and nice posters that you can buy or you know, Hollywood's portrayal of heaven or even the continuation of some really interesting theological cocktails like Gnosticism and Dispensationalism and Mixing those all together, I'll spare you all the details. I can see you're really interested in those terms. Now, that's my nerdy head. As those things have emerged, what's happened is we've really begun to realize that heaven and earth are very separate. And, and we usually think about heaven, uh, something like maybe this, this picture, right, where there's just angels up in heaven floating around and they're cherub-like babies, you know, shooting arrows of love or maybe playing harps on a cloud. I've always been interested to learn more about why these babies are always white, why they always seem to be naked, and how in their density they just seem to effortlessly float upon clouds and never get bored, but just play the harp all heaven long, right? I mean, that would be a really interesting thing. The only thing that would be more alarming if this was actually like the only thing more alarming than this would be if this was our plan for heaven, if this was our next step, and we actually tried to recreate what it would look like if this was our heavenly reality with a slide that you might not be able to unsee for quite some time. Why don't you throw that next one up? <laughs> this is a scary sight for sure. That's Natalie and I. You'll notice that I'm front and center so that her angelic tush isn't on the big screen, but it's mine. <laughs> just, 
And we got little Tom Brady over there, right? Like, he's in NFL heaven now. So this is all, I'm wishing him a long life. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying, in terms of playing in the league, I think we're all happy that we don't have to play Tom Brady in the Super Bowl anymore. That is a, that is a scary sight, right? I mean, I was, I tried to measure, like, I've, I don't know that I've, that's four foot naked baby tush up on the big screen behind me. Thankfully, this is not, this is not our lot for eternity, right? Thankfully, none of us will look like that. We won't have to sit around and just play harp for the rest of our lives. I mean, those pictures, they might be grounded in kind of Renaissance art and thoughts of heaven someday, but they're not really grounded in biblical thought. They're not grounded in a biblical worldview, and we should all be happy about that, right? We should all take a great joy in the fact that we're not just going to sit around for eternity floating on a cloud playing a harp. That would be ridiculously boring if that's what we were looking forward to for all of eternity, right? But even if the Renaissance art or the Hollywood version of heaven and earth haven't impacted you personally, if, if pictures like that aren't exactly what you think about, I think many of us are left with still a very distorted view or a, even a distant view of what heaven actually is and how it interacts with earth. We're left with almost an incomplete theology. And what happens when we're not grounded in Scripture around these ideas is that we begin to think of heaven as only a place you go to when you die. That heaven is something that you only get to experience when you die. That it's almost like creates this escapism mentality where you just kind of grip the steering wheel of life and you grit your teeth and you try to do good enough so that when you die, someday you'll get to go to heaven and experience God's presence forevermore. But heaven is so much more than that. Escapism is not the answer. It's never been the plan according to the gospel of the kingdom of God. God loves earth. He created this place. He plans to redeem and reconcile and transform all things back to its original glory. Of course, when you die, you will be ushered directly into the presence of God. If you're a follower of Christ, you'll be with him forevermore. But the biblical promises of heaven have a lot less to do with only a place you go to when you die and they have a lot more about how God plans to unite heaven and earth again once more. So the major themes in the Bible aren't tied to just escaping the earth when you die, but they're about merging these two realities of heaven and earth back together again. It's not earth down here and heaven up there somewhere. Instead, in Scripture, what you see more commonly are pictures of heaven interacting with earth. You see at times heaven almost overlapping the earth and its form. It's, it's a, almost a little fantastical to think, but it's, it's really like two realities, the reality of earth and the reality of heaven, and those things merging together, almost like a Venn diagram. And the more the overlap, the more beauty you get to experience. There are even scriptures that talk about heaven coming down to earth and in a way invading earth, which is almost the complete opposite of what many of us have been led to believe, that we escape earth to go to heaven. But it's almost the complete opposite, that heaven comes 
to earth. The Bible teaches that from the very beginning, you see the Spirit of God hovering over the earth, the very presence of God found in the Garden of Eden. And sin happens, and evil and darkness occur, and, but then from, from that point forward, you're taking on this beautiful arc and this story, this meta-narrative story of how God is always giving us tastes of heaven on earth again. We see it through the prophets, or even the localized worship of a temple in the Old Testament. Of course, in a grand way, you see it in the person of Jesus Christ, who literally left heaven and came to us in the form of a baby. You see it in the early church, where they had experiences of God's power and presence, and this kind of community centered around experiencing heaven on earth. And then by the time you get to the end of the book, in Revelation 21, chapter 2 to 4, you see this amazing picture of the promise that's still yet to come. Revelation 21, verse 2 three and four. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow, or crying, and pain. All these things are gone forever. It's a beautiful promise. See, over and over and over again, these are the biblical themes. These are the way that Scripture talks about heaven and earth, that heaven and earth started in this unique relationship, that sin fractured that relationship. But ever since then, God has been sending us tastes of heaven in the person of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And one day, a new Jerusalem, a heavenly city descending upon earth, and God will dwell among his people again, eliminating all pain, all brokenness, and all sorrow. See, heaven is not something that you just escape to. Heaven is something that instead we cry out for, and we anticipate coming to earth once again. And because of that, there are massive implications for us. I mean, the way this impacts our everyday lives and the everyday kingdom nature of our lives is incredible. Remember last week, the words of Jesus when he said that the kingdom of God is within reach. It's near you. It's tangible and concrete. And if you take that scriptural truth from last week and you look at the fact that heaven isn't just something for the future or something that you're escaping to when you die, that you're not somehow saved for heaven alone, but you're saved so that you can start experiencing heaven immediately, then it means that salvation isn't just something for the future either. It means that your salvation starts today. Your salvation starts today. Making a, a personal decision to follow Christ is important. It's, it's paramount. And if you've never been told that, that drawing a line in the sand and making a personal decision to follow Christ is important, then I, I'm honored to be the first person to tell you that. It is important to make a personal decision for Christ, but this is the beginning of your salvation. Scripture says that your personal choice will set you on an arc and a trajectory where you can begin to experience tastes of heaven this side of eternity. It's not that 
So I think sometimes we just think like salvation is one and done and then we just wait till heaven. And so we, we close our eyes, we fold our hands, maybe we drop to our knees and we say, God, I give you my life. I want my life. I want your life to be my life. I, I surrender everything to you. And then it's just back to the grinding out the life until one day we get taken up to heaven. But if that were the case, then salvation would be like something that you're promised, but you don't get to experience. It would be like salvation is promised to you, but it's it's put in a safety deposit box. It's wrapped up. It's put in a safe, and you don't get to access to it until you like walk through the pearly gates, and somehow then you get the codes to access salvation. It's not how this works. It's not how the Bible talks about salvation. Instead, what the Bible teaches us is that you have access to salvation right here, right now. But in order to understand the fullness of what that means, we even need to begin to understand the true biblical definition of salvation. Simply put, salvation means deliverance from the power and effects of sin. That's what it means. Deliverance from the power and effects of sin. This obviously points to eternity, and it starts with a personal relationship with Christ where you surrender everything to him. But the Bible also promises that, that you can experience deliverance from sin and its effects right here and right now. That this side of eternity and this side of this beautiful promise, we can begin to be saved from the effects of sin, shame, and brokenness that follows in its path. See, once you really begin to study salvation and study it in the original language and pull all these different scriptures together, you realize pretty quickly that, yes, we absolutely need to make a personal decision to follow Christ, but there's a more holistic way to understand what salvation means in our everyday lives. It's, it's a lot more like this, that, that you have been saved, that you are being saved, and one day you will be saved forevermore. This is much more of our reality in terms of followers of Christ. This is salvation. This is true deliverance from the power and effects of sin. Salvation for eternity. Also, salvation from your past. But so that you can experience salvation also today. See, this is good news. This is, good. this is the best news in town. I mean, how do we not proclaim this news to the people around us? This is the best news in town, right? Your lot in life isn't just designed to be a hot mess until you get to heaven. You try to like figure out as much of you can, as you can before you get there, and then everything's made perfect. No, the Spirit of God is here, active, waiting, stirring within you, transforming you from the inside out, creating a path for you to experience tastes of heaven all along the way. You're being saved. You've been saved and you'll be saved forevermore. This is such good news because it means that you don't have to be controlled by the effects of sin any longer. The wedge that was created between you and God can be eliminated. The conflict and strife that has creeped in between you and others in your in your earthly relationships can be eased. The stress and anxiety, the rage and addiction, the loneliness or insecurity can begin to be healed because your salvation starts today. It starts today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and chapter 6 are some of the best 
chapters you can read around some of this, uh, some of these ideas. I'm going to read a couple of them for you this morning because they really capture kind of the essence of what we're talking about. I'm going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul writes, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. It's not, we'll begin someday when you go to heaven. It has begun. You read that and you can clearly see that salvation isn't for some far off distant future. It is for today. And my hope and prayer for many of us is that we will stop defining ourselves by our past or even our current struggles. That you'll stop limiting who you are in Christ because of your previous life. See, once you decide to follow Jesus, you become a new creation in Christ. You have a new identity in Him and your new life has begun. The promises are at hand. They're within reach. Paul continues now looking at chapter 6, verse 2. He says, indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Today is your day of salvation. All you need to do is cry out for the salvation of God and he will begin invading your heart and invading your life and invading your relationships and invading your home with heaven. Now, we're not talking about triumphalism. Of course, this is a process. This is a journey. It rarely happens overnight. Many of us experience healing and freedom this side of eternity to varying degrees. And we'll talk more about why it happens that way Next week, but the promise remains, and the promise is for us today that you can be rescued from sin and shame and the effects that come along with it starting today. Your first decision to follow Christ unlocks salvation, and that's so incredibly important, but we also know that the second decision is important. And the third decision to follow Jesus is important, and the fourth decision to surrender, and the fifth decision to follow him, and the, and the 5,000th decision to surrender to Jesus. All of these are important along our journey because every single time you make a decision to run to Jesus, to surrender your life to him, or to sit at his feet, you can begin to experience little tastes of eternity, little tastes of heaven breaking into your life. You won't recognize all of them, but over time, when you look back at who you were five years ago or 10 years ago or 25 years ago, you'll see a transformation taking place in your life. This is the slow work of the kingdom happening. Of course, this can bring challenges. If you start to run to Jesus for everything, if you start to ask for heaven to invade your life in all these different areas, it's going to bring challenges. Because all of these little mini decisions for Christ and all of these processes and continual moments of transformation, it not only means that salvation is for today, but it means that heaven is breaking in. Heaven is breaking into your life. And that can complicate things because that means you will experience a spiritual battle. There's a battle going 
around you, on around you and, and, and in you. It's largely unseen and unheard and unnoticed. Although I think if we paused for a moment and we expressed a, 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 a great deal of transparency and self-disclosure, I, I would imagine that many of us have seen and have heard and have experienced this dark battle that can sometimes happen over your mind and over your heart and over your relationships and over your existence. It almost sounds mystical when you first start thinking about a spiritual battle, but we're talking about spiritual things. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about salvation, and it would make sense that as heaven invades your life and this earth, that darkness would want to put up a fight, that darkness would want to dig its heels in the way that it's been active in your life. I mean, Evil doesn't want to be pushed out of your heart and your mind and your relationship. But there is a spiritual battle. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness cannot coexist. There's a cosmic battle of sorts that's happening over your life, a clash of the kingdoms that happens every single time you worship, every single time you lift your hands in prayer, every single time that you confess or you pray or you give or you serve or you forgive or love. All of those things, when they're happening, light is coming, heaven is invading, and darkness is putting up a fight against it. This is why coming to church on Sunday morning can be like the hardest thing for some of us. This is why some of us get into a fight on the way to church or we get into a fight on the way home from church. It's because there's a cosmic battle that's happening. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything that's happening in your life that glorifies God and brings you closer into relationship with him. This is why Ephesians 6, it's so clear about needing to stay on guard as we take up this spiritual fight. Ephesians 6, I'm just going to read two verses, three verses, starting in verse 10. A final word, Paul writes, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. If you've ever dropped your kids off in kids' ministry, or if you've ever attended kids' ministry yourself, then you know this is a favorite verse. The kids love it. They love to talk about the armor of God and make all kinds of little construction projects that resemble it. But I think as adults, we often forget and we get frustrated or anxious or stressed when things begin to fall apart all around us. And it's a natural human tendency to just start blaming or deflecting. And so sometimes something bad will happen and we'll turn to the person closest to us and we'll blame them. We'll blame our past or our present circumstances. We'll blame our parents or our friends. We'll speak shame over our own lives. But what's actually happening is that you might be experiencing a bit of, a bit of spiritual battle, and you need to remember Ephesians 6 to stand firm in the power of God, to stand firm in His mighty presence. Some of you are seeking kingdom breakthrough in your life and you're not experiencing it because you're fighting with human tools instead of spiritual weapons. 
Spiritual weapons like worship or prayer, confession or community. Every time we gather and we sing, every time you serve, every time you sacrifice, every time you give and, and pray for someone else, every time you dig into the scriptures, every time you invite the presence of God into your car or into your home or into your neighborhood, you are beginning to use spiritual weapons that will create an opportunity for light to come in and drive out the darkness. And just for the record, you probably shouldn't blame everything on the devil. I've been around people who stub a toe and they blame Satan, right? Or I've been around people who like make a personal decision to lie, cheat, or steal, and then they blame Satan for that, even though they made those decisions. I mean, I've done some really dumb things in my life. And for a while, I tried to blame Satan for all of the stupid mistakes that I made. And I just realized, that's not Satan, that's just me being stupid. That's a t-shirt, isn't it? <laughs> right? Like, that's not Satan, that's stupid. I, I've lived that life. I've tried to blame everything on the devil, and I'm not saying that you should, right? I've done plenty of dumb things in my life, and I've experienced plenty of bad consequences because of it. Not everything is the devil. However, if you begin to think that nothing is the devil, then Scripture would just tell us that we're just being foolish. Kevin Spacey made the line famous, but it was actually the 19th century French poet Charles Baudelaire who, who wrote it first. The greatest, trick of the, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Like it or not, you, you will experience spiritual battles. This is part of the territory when it comes to heaven invading earth because the light of God is pushing back the darkness. I'm going to close this morning then with just a couple of questions and then a prayer. If this is true about our reality, if this is true about our relationship with God, that you are in and around spiritual battles, but that also salvation isn't only for heaven or isn't only for eternity, but that it's also for today, then the question that we have to start asking is just how much of the kingdom of God do we need to experience today? How many of us need a taste of eternity right now? How many of us need to remember that we have not only been saved, but that we're being saved and someday we'll be saved forevermore? We all need to experience salvation. Some of us, it's for the very first time, and some of us, it's for the 10,000th time. But we need it because sin and the effects that come along with it, they impact our lives. They impact our relationships. They impact our connection with God. We need salvation in all of those moments. I, mean, I can't wait for that new Jerusalem, that picture of heaven coming down onto earth when God will make his home among us once again and he'll completely eradicate all the things of death and pain, sorrow and tears. But until that day comes, I want to cry out and I want to pray day and day and day again and again and again, God, how much of the kingdom can I experience right here, right now? The Lord's Prayer has 
been recited in churches for centuries. Some of you, depending on your faith background, maybe had to memorize it and recite it time and time again. And sometimes because of familiarity and the repetitive nature, we can sometimes forget just how centered in on the kingdom and these salvation moments the Lord's Prayer can be for right here and right now. This is the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. Listen as I read it out loud for these kingdom promises, the promises for today. Jesus said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, holy be your name. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 